once again how excited we are to be here, and uh, thanks to the church for uh, all of your help uh, with uh, our move and transition here. You've been so helpful and encouraging to us, uh, the ladies who cleaned and those who helped us move in and those who've just been an encouragement. Uh, I want to just say thank you once again, and uh, we're so excited to be here and uh, looking forward to what the Lord has in store for us together as we go forward. This morning, we're going to take our Bible and make our way to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter number 4, and uh, you already have a heads up as to where we're going, so we're going to look at our text here this morning of verse 1 down through verse number 8, and the title of the message this morning is A Faithful Preacher, A Faithful Preacher, and we'll read our text and then we'll uh, get into the message together. You'll notice that Paul writes to Timothy here in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, beginning here in verse 1. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I want to begin this message by saying to the church how much I consider it a joy and an honor and a privilege to be here and to be your pastor. I have prayed in the last year's time for the Lord to lead our family to a church that was like-minded as we are, doctrinally and, and practically, and uh, I believe that the, the, the union of us has, is an answer to that prayer. I believe that God has answered that prayer for us in bringing us here, and uh, it's amazed me how He has provided for us and just opened doors and all the details and how He's worked on those things for us. But as I begin the pastoral ministry here, I know that it is a change. It is a uh, transition, if you would, uh, both for you and for myself. Uh, I've never pastored here, and you've never had me as your pastor. I've never lived in Arkansas, and uh, I don't know if you've lived in Kentucky or not, but uh, it's certainly a transition. It is a a change to some degree, and we'll be getting to know one another uh, better uh, as we go along. And, and my prayer is that our hearts would just be wed together as we worship and serve the Lord. And with that being said, I want to preach this text to you both as a, a challenge to myself, but also a communication of myself to the church. I want you to see from this text really what my own convictions are as a pastor, more of an introductory to me as well. My heart is to be a faithful preacher, is to be a faithful pastor as the Lord has called me to be in every area that that entails. And I know that you have had a faithful preacher already been here for a long time. Uh, Brother Harold has been a faithful man, and I've listened to some of his sermons, and he's faithful uh, to the Scriptures, and I've much appreciated his help in the transition here. 
And I just want you to know that I want to continue on being faithful in this pulpit, being faithful to the people of God as the preacher of the Word of God. And I believe in our text, as I want to bring this text to your attention, I believe this text brings that very truth out. It reveals a faithful preacher challenging another preacher with faithfulness. We know that young preacher is that of Timothy. You see, writing to Timothy, these words come as some of the last words that Paul would ever write. That brought my attention to something. Have you ever thought about what your last words might be? You know, many people don't get the opportunity to think that out and write out their last words. Some people do have time to kind of pin out some things if they know that they're about to depart this life. But we find that Paul here is giving some of the last words that he would write, at least we know in the canon of Scripture. And so these words, no doubt, they would be words to cherish, words to really take to heart, as, as Paul makes very plain that he is about to depart this life. And what Paul wants here is for Timothy to be a faithful man of God in his ministry, faithful to God and faithful to the Word of God, faithful to the people of God. And I want you to know, church, that that's my own conviction. That's what I desire to be, is faithful to the Word of God, faithful to the God of the Word, and faithful to you as His people. And I believe that that responsibility truly applies to all of us. We all have a holy responsibility to be faithful to the Lord, to be faithful to His Word, and to be faithful to the church. Now, I want to show you in Paul's words to Timothy some truths that I believe will communicate my heart uh, and just simply be an encouragement for all of us here this morning and reminder to us uh, about a faithful preacher. Notice with me in our notes this morning, number one, we find Paul's exhortation to Timothy. Paul's exhortation to Timothy. That's our first heading here this morning. And I want to point out two things about this. And, and the first one's very simple, and it comes straightforward right in our text, as, as all of these points should. But notice that Timothy was to preach the Word. I mean, that's, that's Paul's exhortation to him. Timothy, I want you to preach the Word of God. Now, as a preacher... I love this passage of Scripture. I, I love this, uh, this charge that's given to him. It's a, it's a text that every preacher should revisit and reevaluate uh, their ministry in light of because every minister of the gospel is called to do this one thing, to preach the Word of God, preach the Word that give, is given of God. Now, this is a simple statement, a simple command that was given to Paul, it was given to Timothy, and I, I love what the Apostle Paul says of this for his own self in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. Paul says this, he says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And I feel the same way. If I was to try and do something else, I believe that I'm sure a whale would swallow me up in one fashion or another. Uh, I, I mean, I have a conviction, a calling, and, and know it deep within me that I must preach the gospel. And one reason I know that is because I remember saying in my teenage years, out loud to myself, I could never be a preacher. If you don't want to be a preacher, don't say that, all right? I'm telling you, I could have never been a preacher. I was the most shy kid. If you look at David, he's a spitting image of me. I mean, he's shy, don't like to talk. 
He'll, he probably won't talk to you much until he warms up to you. And I said that. And lo and behold, God called me to preach at 17 years old, and I have a fire burning in me that I can't help but preach. Uh, and so this was Paul's calling. This was Timothy's calling. Uh, it's calling that's placed upon me as a minister of God. But I want you to understand that the calling of, of preaching uh, is, is, is in a general way applied to all of us as Christians. You may not be called to stand up behind a pulpit and preach full-time for your life, but every Christian is called to declare Jesus. Every Christian is called to be a witness of Christ, a testimony of Christ. It's called the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is not a preacher commission. It is a church commission, which includes every single one of us. Now, what is it to preach? You look at the word preach here, uh, and I give you this lexicon definition with, your, with your, your source there, but to preach simply means to make public declaration. It is to proclaim aloud. Now, I understand that anyone can get up and proclaim aloud a message, but what matters is the message that is being proclaimed. There is a lot of preaching in our day, people that proclaim aloud various things. People proclaim aloud their uh, traditions, their political views, their cultural movements. You could name any sort of thing that uh, men like to bring to the forefront and want people to know about. But Paul is talking about a singular and exclusive preaching and de- declaration here. And what is this he wants Paul to, what's Timothy to preach? He says, the word. Preach the word. What word is Paul talking about? He's talking about the logos, the message of the living God. The message of the living God. Not, not some temporal man-made movement, not some uh, temporal thing that comes to our mind or society or in history, but, but he's calling on Timothy to do this, preach the word, the, the message, the word of the living God. And what is the word of the living God? Friend, you know this answer already. I can tell you're well-rooted and well-educated here. It's the Bible you hold in your hand. It's the complete canon of Scripture. It is from Genesis to Revelation, everything in between. It is the inspired, God-breathed revelation. Now, why is preaching the Word exclusively so important? Because it is the Word alone, the Word of the living God, that is powerful. It is the Word of the living God that is supernatural. It is the Word of God alone that raises dead sinners unto life. It is the Word of God alone that sanctifies you as a believer. I want you to understand that there's a lot of good messages out there that might encourage us and uplift us, and and some of those are good, but understand this, that there's only one thing that transforms the heart, and that is the Word of the living God. Now, I love the verse in Hebrews chapter 4. And verse number 12, as we see uh, the the Hebrew writer uh, reference the Word of God here. He says, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What other writing, what other word can do such a thing? Nothing. There's not anything. Now, I love to read books, and I read all kinds of variety of different books. 
There's only one book that truly transforms my life, and it is the Word of God. It's the Bible you hold in your hand. So the bottom line is this. If the Word isn't being preached, it's not true preaching. True preaching is saturated. It is submerged with the Word of God. Now notice that Paul gives some clarity to this in verse 2. He says to him, be ready in season and out of season. What does Paul mean by this? Well, as a note from John MacArthur, I was reading a little bit of him on this. He says, the faithful preacher must proclaim the word when it's popular and or convenient and when it's not, when it seems suitable to do so and when it seems not. The dictates of popular culture, tradition, reputation, acceptance, or esteem in the community or in the church must never alter the true preacher's commitment to proclaim the Word of God. You know, often in our culture around us in society, you're going to see different topics that arise, and and as that topic arises, a lot of times it's morally wrong or it's sinful, and uh, so preaching against such a thing has often been deemed as hate crimes and inappropriate for our time. May I tell you, that's exactly what Paul's talking about. It doesn't matter what society around us tells us or what circumstances we are experiencing. The Word of God transcends all of those and remains the same. It's always true. It's always right. Uh, and so notice that as Paul, as Timothy preaches the Word of God in season and out of season, in so doing this, he would reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. You see, Timothy, by the Word of God, would bring about correction. By the word of God, he would bring about exhortation and encouragement. And he was do do this with complete patience and teaching or instruction. He was to do this in this manner. Now, I want you to understand that my conviction as a pastor here is to preach the word to the church. It's to preach the word to the church. It must be preached in its right content and its right context. Now, there's a lot of preaching with Bibles nowadays that has nothing to do really with what God actually is saying. So understand that my conviction is, is to preach the Word in its context week after week because this is what God's people need. They need the faithful exposition of the Word of God. And you'll find that oftentimes uh, in the, my primary form of preaching will be through books of the Bible. I believe that's the best way to know the context. Sometimes it will be a, a subject, so we'll take a certain passage in its context, uh, uh, not necessarily through a whole book. But understand that, that faithful preaching is central to the churches for worship. Absolutely central. I love what Spurgeon says here, and I put this quote in your notes. He says, don't go where it is all fine music and grand talk and beautiful architecture. Go where the gospel is preached and go often. Now, we all love fine music, we love architecture, right? But those are, those are trivial things compared to the message that is being heralded from the pulpit in that building. So though this charge to preach the word is, is simple and straightforward, we know today that many have strayed away from preaching the word. And Paul warns in this very passage that there would come a time when the preaching of the word would not be the desire of the hearers. If you look at verse 3 and verse 4 with me, notice what Paul says here. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves 
teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, this is a warning for Timothy in his day, but wow, don't we see that even in our own day? We sure do. And so we have to be on guard against these things. Spurgeon also said this. He says, and I quote, The time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. And with today's social media world, I mean, it's easy to see that sort of thing, isn't it? I mean, it's just broadcasted out there, and, and uh, a lot of things that uh, people go to church to worship, they, 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 they go with the intent to worship, but they have no clue what genuine worship really is. It's a sad thing. And friend, understand that the message of the gospel must go forth. Many have left Bible preaching for sermons that will entertain them or give them some good emotional fix. May I say that good preaching does not depend on those things. Such preaching relieves people of any accountability or responsibility. And we've grown to an age where we have to be constantly entertained. And if the sermon ain't, you know, a certain amount of time, we're ready to go, right? Just this morning, we get in the car. It's how ironic how things work out. The first thing David says to me, Dad, can you make church shorter? (laughs) And I I said, what'd you say? (laughs) I said, why are you saying that? Because I'm hungry. (laughs) I was like, you just ate breakfast, son. He said, I know, but I'm already hungry. And I know sometimes, you know, the preacher can be a little long-winded, and you, your stomach starts to let you know or you're, you're getting hungry. But I can tell you when, it, when a preacher is, is, is truly expounding the text and he's getting through where it needs to stop, it, it is best to just take it in. Best to take it in. And I promise I'll try not to be a long-winded preacher for you. I do try to keep it in a certain measure. But understand that, that good sermons, they are messages that are submerged, saturated with the Word of God. Good sermons are not determined by the crowd, they're term, determined by the content. Not by our feelings, but by the faith. And so Paul needed, so Paul understood that the, the people, the Word of God needed to be uh, given to the people of God, the whole of the Word of God, as it was written. Now he char- his charge here to preach the Word follows the truth of the inerrancy and sufficiency of the Scriptures. Look with me, if you will, at chapter 3 above. Because remember that this was a letter. There wasn't, at one point, chapters and verse numbers. Those are for your benefit, and I'm thankful for those. But it's good to understand the context of how this is structured. If you look at verse 16, what he said just before the charge to preach the word, he says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what Paul gives this charge in light of what he just said. He charges Timothy, preach the word, and here's why. Because all Scripture flows from the very breath of God. And all of Scripture is not only inerrant, but it is sufficient for everything you need for the gospel ministry. You see, in view of this, we see why sola scriptura is so essential. I will always be willing to die on the hill of sola scriptura. Because Scripture alone is our authority for faith and practice. Now, I know you're thinking right now that he's never going to get through this outline. I promise you, the bulk of the message is right here, okay? We'll get through the rest as we come. But don't, don't, don't get worried about how long I'm taking in this first point. 
But in view of all this, it doesn't matter what people say or think about the Word, we just preach it anyway. Some will lovingly receive it as God's people. Some will despise it and go the other direction. And that's not in our control. Now, notice this also. We must keep in mind that Paul's charging Timothy to preach the Word, not only in light of the fact that Scripture is inerrant and sufficient, but he also is charging him in light of verse 1. Look at verse 1 with me. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Now, now this really strikes a measure of fear into me, and ought to in all of us. He's charging Peter, I mean, excuse me, he's charging Timothy to preach the word in light of the fact that Jesus, he's the judge of all creation. He's the judge of the living, he's the judge of the dead. And what does that show, Timothy? That Timothy's judgment will not come from those who hear him preach whether they're faithful believers or those that don't like the Lord at all, Timothy and every Christian's judgment will only come from one person, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Preacher told me long ago in school, preach for the audience of one. Preach for the audience of one. And who's that audience? That audience is Jesus. That audience is Jesus. That is, that is who we're to seek to please. And so understand that, that every one of us, we're going to stand before Jesus someday to give an account of our life. Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, So then each of us will give account of himself to God. There's a judgment day coming for each and every one of us. And Paul links the charge here to Jesus as judge, but he also links it to Jesus and his appearing and his kingdom. Timothy would remember that Jesus is coming back again and that the preaching that Timothy preaches directly influences and is part of the kingdom work, the advance of the kingdom of God. What a charge this is for us. And that brings me to letter B for a moment this morning. Not only do we see Timothy was to preach the word. As you can tell, that's my favorite part of the sermon, right? I spent the most time there. But Timothy was to fulfill his ministry. Fulfill his ministry. Now, preaching the word is one aspect. I believe it is chief and and central, but it is one aspect of the ministry. He says there in verse 5, he calls on him to fulfill your ministry, to, to fully carry out all the duties of your ministry that's involved with being a pastor of God's people. Now, Timothy would not have the same ministry as Paul, but his ministry was not less significant. And we must all recognize this, that no ministry of the Lord is less significant. All of them are significant. All of them play a role in what God is calling us to do. There was a young preacher who once complained to Charles Spurgeon, we know who he is, famous British preacher of the 1800s, that he did not have a big enough church as he thought he deserved. And Spurgeon asked him, he said, how many do you preach to? Spurgeon said, oh, the the young man said, oh, about a hundred. And, the man, and Spurgeon replied very solemnly, he said, that will be enough to give account for on the day of judgment. Now I want you to understand, whether a flock is five or 500, it's significant. It is a weighty work. And I want you to understand that I view this church as a big work. I view this church as a privilege to be able to pastor and minister too. And I, and I pray that you will be able to see that in my words, my actions, and uh, the manner in which I serve you. You see, this is how we all must view the ministry of the church. 
not just the pastor and preacher. You as members must view this church as important, as significant, as eternal work. You understand that we're a part of something that's bigger than us and beyond us. What a privilege it is to be among the church of God, among His people. It's a wonderful thing. Now, Paul gives some specifics to Timothy here in verse 5. Notice what he says to him. He says in verse 5, As for you, always be sober-minded. What is it to be sober-minded? That word refers to being well-balanced and and self-controlled. Now, Timothy needed to be balanced in his mind. He needed to be under control in his thinking. He needed to have clarity in his perception and, and how he views things. And all of this will directly affect his performance of his ministerial duties. He needed to have a clear view of both himself, the people that he was entrusted with, and the influences around him. Now, Paul also says this. He calls on Timothy to endure suffering. Endure suffering. Now, certainly suffering is probably the most unappealing thing we could think of. Any of us want to volunteer to suffer a little bit? Not really, right? We don't, we don't typically enjoy that or look forward to that, but at the same time, it's one of the most profitable things for ministry. Many people view persecution as if it's, you know, it is, it is a bad thing. We don't wish it on anybody. But did you know that God actually uses that sort of thing to purge His church, to purify His church, and to empower His church? I find it ironic that any time that man has sought to stamp out the people of God, it only multiplies the people of God. Uh, that, that's exactly how God works. Uh, but well, you find that through suffering, we, we grow in grace, and it cultivates strength uh, in, in our Christian life, in our walk. And so the ministry, understand, it often brings suffering in various forms. Sometimes it's persecution from the outside of the church. And then other times it's enduring problems from within the church. This suffering is part of the gospel ministry, and Paul is in no way trying to hide that reality. If you look at a couple of scriptures here in Second Timothy... Look at chapter 1 and verse 8 and look at what Paul already wrote to him. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 8, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He calls on him to share or to take part in the suffering. Look at chapter 2 and verse 3 and 4. He says to him, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier Getting in, gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Then he calls on him again in our own text to endure suffering. Friend, this is not just something for the gospel preacher, but we as Christians must understand that being a true disciple of Jesus, it involves suffering. Remember the words of Christ. What did Jesus teach his disciples? He said to them in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, taking up your cross is not putting on your cross necklace or your cross t-shirt, although I do like those sorts of attire. Taking up a cross is a message of suffering, being willing to identify with the pain that is involved in following Jesus. 
So Timothy was to be willing to suffer for Christ's sake. And so ought we also. But notice Paul also says to him to do the work of an evangelist. What is this evangelist? He's a proclaimer of the gospel of Christ. And we, we note that there, wasn't, there is an office of evangelist that, that God does call some men into. Ephesians 4.11 gives us, we see apostles and the prophets, evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers. So uh, this is a, a calling on some men's lives, but Paul's not calling on Timothy to take up the office of the evangelist. He's saying, I want you to do the work of an evangelist. I want you to do the work of an evangelist. Evangelism, understand, it is interwoven into the office of the pastor, but it is also interwoven into the life of the Christian. Because we're all called to take the gospel to the lost and dying world around us, knowing this, knowing that the gospel will bring God's sheep to himself. The gospel doesn't fail. It just doesn't. And so we're called to be heralds of the gospel and continually take it out into the world knowing that it will be successful in bringing his people to himself. And so what a ministry here Timothy has to fulfill, it's a call of faithfulness that rests upon him. And I view this text in light of my own calling in the ministry, that my conviction here is to preach the word week in and week out, and to faithfully fulfill all duties that are accompanied by this ministry. Notice with me number two in our notes. You probably think, finally, we got down to number two. I promise these will go a little quicker little quicker, because I know David, he's starving right now. If, if he was hungry two hours ago, I know he's starving right now. So I want you to see number two, we see Paul's example to Timothy. And I, I just love this text. Paul's example to Timothy, we find that in verse 6 and in verse 7. And here's the first part of his example is that he fought faithfully for the gospel. That's what he did with his life. He fought faithfully for the gospel. If there's one man in Scripture that we see a tenacious will to fight the good fight of faith, it was the Apostle Paul. In verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I mean, you read through the life of Paul from Acts and all the way to the end and through his letters, if there was anyone who was a fighter, it was the Apostle Paul. He, he, he didn't just give up. He was constantly on the front lines of the gospel, tempering his life to fight for the faith. He said in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 26, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one that beats the air. In other words, he's, not just, he's just not wasting away himself, but he's intentionally being disciplined and temperate to run his race and to fight the fight to the very best of his ability. Now, this wasn't a physical fight. It was a spiritual one. But understand that the spiritual often brings about physical harm, which we see Paul enduring as he was beaten and left for dead and given stripes. He was always in physical, enduring physical things in this fight of faith. But even with the physical harm, and usually it's the physical things that knock us down and we think, okay, I'm not getting back up. Even with that, Paul stood up and declared the gospel. Remember when they drug him out of the city and stoned him and left him for dead? What did he do? He got up and marched right back in. I just have to think, would I have that kind of tenacity? I mean, he, he would get knocked out, he'd get back up. Some of my favorite movies to watch is the Rocky series. Anybody seen Rocky? 
they're little older movies. I, I, they've always been my favorite since, since I was a kid. But what I love about Rocky, he's the underdog, all right? And, and he gets in the ring with these guys who are more experienced, more strong. They've had, had more wins under their belt. He gets in the ring. He gets beat up horribly. He gets knocked down. And then he just gets right back up and starts swinging again and again and again. I believe this, that God's people need more tenacity in our day. We get knocked down by our godless culture around us, and we tend to stay down and stay quiet because we got knocked down a little bit. we got to get back up. There's a kingdom that's marching forward that you and I are already on the winning side of. And so understand that, that we must fight the faith, fight for the faith of the gospel. As Paul writes this letter, he's in prison, enduring affliction because of his fight. In fact, he's nearing his death because he has fought faithfully. In verse 6, notice what he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Paul knows, Paul knows that he's not going to escape this prison sentence. He's not going to escape this judgment that's coming upon him by the Roman people. And like when one begins to pour out water, you cannot stop the flow of that water. Paul knows that his death is nearing. But this really doesn't bug Paul a whole lot. Why? Because he's really longed to leave for a long time. If you read the passage in Philippians chapter 1, I'll read this briefly, but Philippians 1 and verse 21 through 24 for a moment, you'll notice his desire here. He, he says, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He had seen Christ. You understand this, right? On the road to Damascus where he was converted gloriously and powerfully and sovereignly, he saw Jesus with his eyes until he got blinded by them. But he heard his voice and he knew Christ. We know that he was caught up to the third heaven in 2 Corinthians. He knows that to be with Christ is far better. So he doesn't fear death. He's not afraid of them chopping his head off. He's ready for this. Because he knows that he's been faithful to fight for the gospel. And thus Paul says, the time of my departure has come. What better human example could there be for Timothy? Paul's faithful life, it's a challenge to me. It's a challenge to you to fight faithfully for the gospel. Notice with me letter B. We notice that he finished faithfully for the gospel. He fought faithfully. He finished faithfully. He says in verse 7, I have finished the race. And friend, he finished it well. Finishing his race was something that permeated his mind throughout his ministry. Didn't matter if it meant suffering or not. He wanted to finish well. He told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 and verse 24 before he would go to Jerusalem knowing what was going to come upon him. He said, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He didn't count his life as a value to himself, but rather he only wanted to finish his race well, all the way to the finish. Notice what he says in verse 7, in this finishing of his race. He says, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. The word kept here 
means to cause a state, condition, or activity to continue. It is to hold, reserve, preserve. So what Paul has done with the faith is he has, he has kept it going. He has been strong to defend it. He's been strong to proclaim it. And we know that the faith here, it is the, the truth of Christian doctrine, especially the gospel of Christ. Friend, Paul was zealous about truth. May we all be zealous about truth. Because in this world, it's truth that matters. It's truth that matters. The truth of Christ. Jude wrote to these Christians and said in Jude 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend, to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. We are all called to defend the faith contend for the faith, to proclaim the faith. And friend, if we do not do that, error will permeate. Error will creep in. We must be faithful to the truth of Scripture. So Paul's used his own life here as an example to Timothy to be faithful no matter what. And you'll see that further in chapter 3, verse 10 through 11, where he says that, Timothy, you followed my teaching. You followed my life. You followed my persecution you've seen in me i'm telling you to do what i've already experienced and may i say to you as well that jesus has not called us to do anything that he did not already fulfill and live out in his own human life you say well he was god you understand that he submitted himself truly to human form he lived what it, as what it means to be a man he was a real man he wasn't just a projection or a hologram of a man he was a genuine man He endured temptation. He went through suffering. He labored and and did all the things that he calls us to do. We're to be that living sacrifice. So I challenge you, church, to be that. Paul fought faithfully, and so should we. Paul finished faithfully, and so should we. That is my conviction that I pray will be your own conviction. But notice with me number three. This morning we see Paul's expectation with Timothy. And the expectation that Paul has and that Timothy would have as well is the second coming of Christ. He's already mentioned his appearing in verse number 1 in his kingdom. But you'll notice on down to verse number 8, and what does he say? He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. You'll notice there's something that saturates Paul's epistles, and it is the appearing of Christ. It is the coming of Christ, because Jesus is coming again. There's going to be an end to this evil cycle, right? And we know that the kingdom of God is advancing throughout this world and and conquering, and Christ is ruling and reigning, and he's, he's putting enemies under his feet, and there's coming a day when he'll return, and there will be no such thing as an enemy. For the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus will come, and that will be resurrection day. And so with this, he constantly affirms this wonderful truth. Titus 2.13, he issues Titus to be waiting for a blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So understand that the second coming of Jesus, it is both a cause of motivation to be faithful to Him and a cause of rejoicing, for that day will be unlike you looking forward to that day? I know I am. Letter B, we see there is a special crown 
from Christ. And Paul says this, he makes note, with the coming of Christ and this judgment, there will be awaiting him a crown of righteousness that he will receive on that day. On that day. Now, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, Paul makes this clear. We all must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it be good or evil. There's coming a day when we will all give account to Christ for our Christian life. It's a rewarding day. It's a day in which we'll see the fruit of our Christian life lived for him. But I want you to note, too, that this crown of righteousness that's given to Paul, it's not just for him, but it is also for all who have loved his appearing. All who have loved his appearing. Now, I believe the Bible teaches us about rewards and crowns. But I believe it's important to keep perspective with this as well. While this rewarding crown is something we can look forward to as faithful believers, we have to recognize that we're truly worthy of nothing without Christ. That even the crown itself is a fruit of Him in us. I'm not worthy of it. I'm not worthy of it. And we offer that back to Christ. It's all by grace. Every ounce of it is by grace alone. Any and all good in our life flows from our gracious Lord, to whom be glory forever and ever. And I have one thing, one thing central that I want to do with my life, my Christian life, my ministerial life, and it is simply this, is to be found faithful to the Lord who gave His life for me. The Lord who gave His life for me, rose for me, ascended for me, intercedes for me, reigns for me, is coming back again for me. Friend, that's, that's, that's cause enough to be faithful to him. So Paul wanted Timothy to be a faithful preacher and pastor. That's my own conviction and heart to you, church, as I minister to you here. Paul's exhortation to him is to preach the word and fulfill his ministry. Paul's own example shows us he was faithful to the finish in his fight and all that he did. And Paul's expectation was the second coming in a special crown. Friend, God wants all of us to be faithful. And the challenge really is to all of us. Will we be faithful? Will you be found faithful? Would you think on those today? And pray for me as your pastor, as I get assimilated here, to begin to serve you and minister to you and preach to you. And I will pray for you. And we will together do our very best to bring God the most glory we possibly can bring Him. And to reach as many souls as we possibly can. And to make disciples for His name's sake. Let's stand our feet and we'll have a closing song this morning. Brother Ron, if you would come and uh, we'll, we'll sing a verse as we close out our service.